All right. Good Monday morning, everyone. So it is. We have had a crazy weekend in my household, but you guys are listening to Author Talk with me, Amy Fern. Our lovely co- guest co-host is Sandy. She's back again, and our lovely author guest is Kim. So you guys, my weekend. Okay. We guys know my kids had COVID last week, right? So I tested positive for COVID on Thursday. But it's more like allergies for me. So I am still a peppy little person that just gets winded a little a little easier and is more tired. But with that, my husband was out of town last week. And then he had to go to a wedding because my husband is doing great. Okay, of course, naturally, he just has defined himself as the cure because he has yet to get it. So it's just an inside joke. I think he just, you know, takes a shot of whiskey every day and that kills it. That's my opinion. I'm going to, I will, that's a hill I'm going to die on is that one for sure. But it was this weekend, we were just mostly kind of, the girls were in full swing up, getting everything going, everything like that. And so I was more taking it easy doing laundry, which if anyone knows, I hate laundry. I wish I could just live out of baskets. It's not the doing the laundry part. It is the folding part that is just not my friend. It's not my friend. Good morning, Greg. Good morning, everybody. Hi, Greg. Hi, Greg. Oh, my goodness. So with that being said, I am back. I still get winded, but I am back full kicking and everything. I'm excited about this week. We have a lot of cool stuff. I did also do a workshop on Saturday for the Houston Writers Guild going back to basics with social media, which was an awesome experience. I had so much fun. I met some amazing people with that but enough about my weekend what all did you guys do sandy what did you do this weekend um we had company we uh, my husband's son and our grandson were here and his new grandson and they're all they live in new york city and they all came in on saturday so we spent the weekend hanging out with them and yesterday we totally took over one of the barbecue as my husband said one of the barbecue joints uh, I think we had all together because it was my family and his family and, you know, the blended family. We had like 27 people that descended on this restaurant. But we had a great time, great time. The kid, the, he has a one, his one grandson is in college and the other one is um, a year old. So um, lots of variety. But we just had fun. They're leaving tomorrow. So we just had fun hanging out with them. I love it. I love it. Fern, what about you? What all did you do this weekend? How did your shuffleboard tournament go? We haven't seen you in a few weeks. I miss you. I know. I know. It's been exciting. I, you know, I had so much to catch up on when, you know, if you leave work for a whole week to go and do something, then, you know, it takes more than a week apparently to catch up on that. So, but uh, the shuffleboard tournament, I was in Oklahoma, in Dell City, Oklahoma, and it's called the Women Wondering the World uh, tournament. So it was all ladies, and it was great. I had such a good time. We stayed in an Airbnb home that was very, like, you know, 1930s Gothic feeling, um, and we had a wonderful time, just kind of sorority type, you know, staying up late, chatting, snacking, you know, and then um, and then playing, you know. I actually got a lot further than I thought I was going to get, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, I'm improving, you know, from the from the first ever time that I did any kind of tournament work. Like, I've actually improved. So, 
Yeah, it was great. I learned a lot too. Like they were so, um, everybody there was so welcoming and, you know, being newbies, like there was a lot of us that from Houston that were newbies. They'd never been to tournament. So we, uh, we got a lot of really great love and, you know, instruction and just patience. People were very patient with us. So it was really nice. Who, who it was even very knew nice. that they had tournaments for the shuffleboard tournaments? I mean, and Kim, oh, yeah. you guys, oh. I don't, Kim, you may be familiar with this, but it's not the shuffleboard that old people play, um, you know, where you push this thing on the ground. <laughs> this is like no, a tabletop is... game, and it's yeah. very interesting. And yeah, so the... been doing it for a while. Yeah, the table, table shuffleboard is played on a 22-foot table <clears throat> um, that is slightly concave. It looks flat, but it's actually kind of curved. And you take your weight and you slide it towards the mark on the on the other end, you know, and you try to keep your opponent from scoring and such. I mean, it's it's got a quite a lot of skill that you really require. And one of the best things about it is that, you know, you really cannot be worrying about anything. You can't be thinking about anything else. You really, while you're playing, you are focused on your body, your breathing, you, you know, the motion of your hand and position of your weight and stuff. So it's a really great way to totally relax from whatever is happening in your world, you know? So, I need something like is, that. <laughs> we all I'm do. sure. Uh, where are you at, Kim? Where are you coming from? Oh, well, I didn't get any good barbecue like Sandy did this past weekend or play any good shuffleboard, but I am at Amelia Island. We came down here because my husband is also an author and he has a book signing and talk here in Amelia Island. So we decided to make a weekend of it. He's got a new book coming out uh, called Return to Hardscrabble Road. It's a follow up to his first book, Hardscrabble Road. And they invited him down here to talk. And so we brought my, I have a 21 year old and a 10 year old. So we brought my 10 year old with us down here and we thought, well, we'll go to the beach, do the book talk for him. And so we're down here. So I didn't have good barbecue, but I did have excellent shrimp and a pina colada at this place called Shuckers. And there was a man there playing guitar. So everything is good. Oh, that sounds amazing. Mm -hmm. Nice. Wonderful. Nice. Fern, when you said Oklahoma, I was going to start singing the Oklahoma song, you know, but I've refrained because no one needs to hear my singing. But it, whenever oh, someone an elephant's eye, that's what I, I remember about Oklahoma. <clears throat> really? Oh, I just remember, you know, like when the wind comes sweeping through the plains, you know, like that. So mm -hmm. I'm just like, oh, my gosh. So whenever someone says Oklahoma to me, that's like I just am like, you know, I don't know. Oklahoma, yeah. where the wind comes sleeping through. The, like, I can't just say Oklahoma. The whole song. Yeah, I, 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 felt like, I felt like we, we should have we should have played the song on, on our road trip there. But, yes. you know, I was overruled on that. But oh, you know, well. I was like, we should have. We should have set off like the first when we first got onto the highway. We should have turned on that song just, you know. Or when we I mean, arrive, when we cross the state board. I don't know. I feel like that song should have been a part of our journey. And it yet, should have been your the theme song. With me, yeah, the people with me were no. Oh, so see, it I should have been whenever you went up to do your tournament. You know, I don't know if you got theme songs, but I, I would have put it on my music. phone. 
You know, I would have played the Oklahoma song on my phone, you know, like that. I don't know. Like if it was in Alabama, I would have played Sweet Home Alabama. Right. I mean, that's just what I think of. But yeah, I can't say, you know, it's really I have I really have to refrain when I say Oklahoma because I just want to start singing the song. I don't know why, but it's just the whole that's thing. Adorable. <laughs> it's just perfect. Oh, wow. Wow, Bob. Oklahoma no, you know what? I love it. One of the things that was really fun this weekend, because that was like last, a couple weeks ago, was the shuffleboard tournament. But this weekend was really great because the Houston Polo Club, the season has started. And so we do. We have a polo club. And Mac and I went to see the game and just, you know, honestly, we are not 100% sure how the game is played. We just rooting for the. <laughs> That's the what I was wondering. <laughs> okay. We, okay. We, just, we just looking at the horses. But I found out, interestingly, that there are three games in that you can only do right-handed. They only allow you to play right-handed. Oh. Any, any guesses? Obviously, polo, right? Polo is one of them, right? Only mm-hmm. right-handed. Can't can't mm-hmm. use your left hand. Any any guesses on the other two, ladies? Hmm? What is that one? Cricket? Can you do cricket right-handed? What is that other one where you have to hit the ball through the little arches? Yeah, it would be cricket, but no. So yeah, no, croquet. No, no. There you go. The two, okay. So the two other games that that you can only use the right hand, right? You're not allowed to use the left hand are high alive which i i have never played i'm not sure about it and field hockey apparently field hockey polo and highlight are only right right handed you you may not use the left hand which you know why is there is there a reason for that i think for for polo it makes sense because like if you think about it your mallet you have to kind of be able to know where the mallets are at all times so you know i guess for safety reasons but i don't know Uh, enough about the other two to to hazard a guess on that but interesting i, I didn't even know you. the other two existed so i've heard of field hockey but i'm not is that just mean it's the same as the regular hockey but they play it on a field and sit them on ice is that like the roller skates you know i don't know <laughs> I don't, I don't, I do not know. Okay, so the people that do the field hockey out there, please (laughs) forgive us for not knowing anything about I'm sorry. Oh my goodness. I should research all of these because I haven't heard of any of them. I mean, polo, but I didn't think polo, you know, was played here in the States. Yeah, we have, oh my God, yes. We have a a very vibrant polo community uh, as in the United States. And um, Houston Houston is... You know, in Houston, we Houston, have a polo club. Right? We have a yeah, polo club. Is that like, uh, is it uh, like the Kentucky Derby? You wear all those like fancy hats and stuff? Because that would be fun. So you, you know, it's really more relaxed. Like you, you oh. wear, you know, kind of a, a nice sundress and stuff. But they do have a, one of the games that are, that is coming up, they will have a hat contest. Oh, so, okay. Uh, oh, there. Yeah. Yeah. There will be a hat contest. And I, I did wear that. my hat. Because, you know, even though you're under pavilion and it, there is shade and stuff, I mean, the sun is pretty intense. And then, you know, at halftime, you do have to go out into the field and help stomp the divots, right? Because help um, what? Help do what? The, the divots. divots. You have to stomp the stomping of the divots. Because, you know, the horse hooves, they, 
they break up a little bit of the turf, right? So then there's these, these indentations and then it's harder for the ball, you know, to roll. And so there's like, so during halftime, the spectators, we go out into the field and you look for those indentations and you kind of stump down the grass, kind of make it even and they give you champagne while you're doing this and you're stomping the divot. And you have you to be know careful. What? Did they hear that in Pretty Woman? They did. They did. Okay, because I was going to say, when you told me about going and stomping, I just pictured Pretty Woman in her dress, you know, yeah. where she was like, big mistake, and she has uh -huh. this nice dress that she's wearing, and she's stomping <laughs> it, you know, and she's laughing. I was like, okay, they do do yeah, that. And that's the only reason that. I know about it. Thank you. I mean, <laughs> me too. That's the only reason I could, I, I mean, I pictured it. Okay. I love uh -huh. it. Yes, that is a good movie. I need to watch that movie. That is a good yep. point. I don't think Josh has seen that. I need to make a mental note. It was just on this weekend. I watched it again. Oh, my goodness. I need to yep. I need to watch it. For sure. But For can sure. you mention that your your husband is an author and you also are an author? So with that being said, Sandy and Fern, take it away. Let's get to hearing about Kim and her published author work. Fern, well, Kim, I think one of the supporting you. All right. So one of the things that I kind of wanted, I, I always want to know, is what made you decide to become an author? What is it that made you want to become a writer? Um, because I think everybody's, you know, uh, spark is so intriguing and awesome, and it's wonderful for other people to hear what motivates us as writers. So what? What brought you to writing? Oh, wow. This is a heavy one. Um, well, this one goes way back. When I was growing up, I grew up in a very um, violent home life, home situation. And uh, well, which was what eventually led me to be um, a CASA, a court appointed special advocate. If you don't know what these are, they're, um, who is that me buzzing? Um, they are people who are children's advocates. And when a child is taken into um, the Department of Family and Children's Service, removes a child from the home, whether just to investigate for a short time or to take them into foster care or to go live with another relative while they figure out where to place the child permanently or to send the child back to the parents or whoever, um, they will assign them a children's advocate. And I volunteered to do that for a while uh, because I had came from, I had been removed from my home when I was a child. So during that time, and, and I was raised in a Christian faith and we learned that, that David, you know, would write the Psalms of David. They were, you know, the blues, they were just him expressing himself and he would, you know, just pour out his heart. You know, they were laments. They were just, just him getting it out, you know? And so that's what I would do. I would just page after page, after page, after page. And I think at a very early age, it just taught me to get it out there, just express it. Like don't, don't even edit it initially, just get it out, you know? Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I think that's when it began, you know, and it, that also led me to, um, do some good things too, to, you know, this sort of alchemy where I, I transformed that into something positive where I could be there for other kids in that situation. But yeah, that's how the writing began was just um, 
my own sort of therapy. Kind of a healing. Yeah, yeah, healing and healing. You know, it's such and a that, wonderful thing to to bring up because you know a lot of times people uh, don't realize just how therapeutic writing is. You know, whether you're writing nonfiction or fiction, you know, so much of you is in there. And uh, you can express so many things of the your own personal situations, you know, and and just get it out. Like you said, get it out of you. Put it on a piece of paper. You can dissect it. And I think a lot of people don't even get that sometimes. And my friend Kathy says this. She's she's one of the, the women in our critique group. Um, and she says that fiction often gives away more about us even than if we're writing nonfiction because mm -hmm. we're able to let all that out in the form of a character without censoring it, you know, because we're mm -hmm. putting that on another character and it's someone else. So we can just be, be freer in some ways than if we were writing about ourselves, oddly enough, you know? Mm -hmm. That is very true. So you've written a book that, that is, uh, it, it just released, I believe? Or it's really yeah, it's, it's still technically in pre-order, but I, I was getting pictures on Instagram and Facebook where people were saying, I got my book in the mail today. So they went ahead and sent them out. But <laughs> yeah, you can order it on Amazon now, but um, technically Thursday. But yeah, it's out. Well, so tell, tell us a little bit about this book. Um, what was the genesis for it? You know, where did where did this story come from? Is this a book one or is this a standalone? You know, give us some give us the 411 on on stealing Aries. Sure. It is book one in the Aries Ascending series. It's going to be a series of books. And I wanted to do a series because I get so engrossed in a book that, you know, I have that sense of grief, you know, when a book ends and I just want it to keep going and I'll read a series. I mean, they can write 11 books and I'm still right there with them. So I wanted to yep. do a series as well and just keep it going. And I just fall in love with characters. And so I wanted to do a series. So yeah, this is, this is book one in the series. And um, as far as how it, it began, um, I think because I was raised in a very um, charismatic Christian setting and some people might not see this connection but it opened my eyes to the idea that there were worlds you could not see mm. and some people might not see the leap here but that led me to just have an open mind about these things and that led me to also be interested in physics and theoretical physics and the idea that there could be like multiple universes and just all kinds of things you can't see, right? Because the spectrum of what we can see, there's like infrared, right? That's just a small part of our vision. But there's actually, if we could see a more than just this, there's all this other stuff we can't see, right? And so in the 90s, I read a lot of um, Fred Allen Wolf, uh, Paul Davies, things about um, multiple <laughs> universes, right? And M theory and expansion, you know, it, anyways, I, um, and, and I think it was my early upbringing, like the charismatic Christian world that believed that there were a lot of things that you couldn't see that oddly enough led me to interest in physics and sci-fi and fantasy. And this is a sci-fi book, but there's a lot of overlap between sci-fi and fantasy. And so that's what got me interested in, in sci-fi. 
And I love that you mentioned that because I, uh, I thought it was great that uh, from physics and from quantum physics and all the things that you were studying and learning about in college um, or learning about, I don't know if you said it college or not, but I remember you said you were studying it, that that led you then to write fiction, science fiction. I think that's a very interesting, I don't think I've ever heard of that before. Have you heard that you're studying physics and all of a sudden you have, you know, this opening to these other universes and other worlds and you start writing about science fiction? I think I love that. I love that story. I love that you had that on your website. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I originally was majoring in physics and then the math made me cry. <laughs> <laughs> and I thoroughly believe, you know, if I had stuck with it, I, I believe, you know, anybody has the capacity, you know, to learn it. But um, I thought, you know, I don't have to sit here and cry my way through every math class. I can still write about the things I love without becoming a physicist. You know, I can still love those books and enjoy those books and write about these things. You know, I don't have to, to torture myself with the math that's making me cry. So <laughs> I, I veered and became a writer. Yeah. And that's, that's a really great thing because I think that one of the things that people don't realize is that the science fiction, um, especially science fiction is, you know, as a genre, very research-based, right? You oh, really yeah. need to have a connection that is, you know, direct to what we already know, right? As a science fiction author, you are hypothesizing, right? You're hypothesizing, extrapolating what could be in the future based on the science that we know now that exists. So, you know, um, there's, it has to have a direct link to real science for it yes. to be a science fiction novel. You know, and so when you're talking about multiple universes and dimensions and things, the, pl the, the, the plausibility right now is that there would be because there are many uh, scientists that are working in that idea of the multiverse and, you know, uh, where and how do they interconnect and do they interconnect? And a lot of people doing work with time and trying to figure out, you know, is it a construct? Is it real? Is it constant? Is it variable? Um, there is just so much science, scientific, you know, investigations in these concepts. And it's great as a writer to play with them, right? Oh, to yeah. extrapolate and play. There's so much so, there. It's fascinating. And I, that's why I put on my website um, links if people want to know more about the EM bubble, the electromagnetic bubble that the ship travels in, you know, that was actually based on research that um, scientists have done, theoretical physics scientists who, who have researched this. Uh, so there's articles in there about how they theorize that, that yes, this, this might one day be a way that we actually travel. So the science in my book is actually things that I've researched that are theoretically possible. And there's been, you know, um, papers written on them. It's not, you know, anything that's not plausible for the future. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. So what are some of the, I, I just kind of want to get a sense of the story, like, cause it is a, it is a book one. So you're introducing the world, you're introducing some characters and you're introducing some, some problems. So what, tell us a little bit about the story. Like what can we, what, what are, you know, without giving anything away, right? Without spoilers, 
tell us a little bit about what happens with book one, you know, and then, and then what is, what's going to be, you know, kind of the, the overarching, you know, kind of storyline for the whole series. I'd love where, to. Where are you going with it? Yeah. Well, you know, we're, we're getting really close to um, getting somebody like literally getting somebody on Mars soon. Right. I mean, that's, that's inevitable. That's gonna happen. So I was playing with the idea that, okay, we get people there. We've, got Mars terraformed, there's a colony there, things are going along pretty good, but what if something happens here on Earth and those people who are still, I mean, they're, they're doing good there, you know, they're, they're fairly self-sufficient, but they still need help from Earth. But what if something big, something tragic happens here on Earth and we can't help them anymore? That's just a terrible position to be in. So. I had always been fascinated with the 1918 flu pandemic. Now, this was years before the pandemic happened here. In fact, interesting side story, my engagement ring, <coughs> this one here, this was given to um, my husband's, my husband's grandmother by her fiance, in 1918, no, 1919, I believe. And he gave it to her. He died during the Spanish flu pandemic and they were never able to get married. Oh, and I showed this ring to a friend of mine and they pointed at it after George put it on my finger and they pointed at it and they said, I don't know about that. Because they thought, you know, don't wear that thing. That is just it's cursed. It's bad luck. Don't do it. I'm like, no, I'm yeah. going to redeem this ring. We're going to get married and it's going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> so he gave it to me and we got married during the next pandemic over a hundred <laughs> years later. And we are both fine. So, um, but anyway, I thought it was interesting. I love that. I love that you were like, no, we're going to do this. I'm going to redeem this ring. This yeah. is how we're doing it. You know, oh, I love and it's that. a lovely ring. And, yeah. you know, he passed away yeah. and I, I just, I thought he loved her, you know, and it, yeah. there, there is something sweet about that. And they didn't get a chance to get married. So I, I don't think it should be cursed, you know, it, no. it's love. Yeah. yeah. I love that. But, um, yeah. So I, I was always fascinated with, with the pandemic. But I wrote the book about three and a half, four years before this pandemic. And so when I started shopping the book, so so the idea was the pandemic swept the earth, swept the earth. and then the, half the population on earth died and they couldn't help the Mars colonists anymore because they were like, we have to help ourselves. You know, our, our crops mm -hmm. are failing because, you know, there's nobody to hardly anybody left to to work the crops. You know, we can't deliver supplies, you know, it's just a mess. Mm -hmm. So, um, but then when I started shopping um, the book to agents, editors, they were saying no pandemic stories. Cause that's when I was actively trying to sell the book and everywhere I went, no pandemic stories. No, they didn't want to hear it because I guess everybody had written a book during the pandemic and they had included the pandemic in it. And I just got discouraged and I thought the pandemic is threaded through the whole book. I just can't. It's too much. I can't do it. I just know. 
you know, and we go through so much as writers anyway. And this was like my fifth book. And I just I put it in a drawer and I just moved on to another project. And so I, I do a podcast um, with my Bob women who write podcast and we were recording and um, Kathy, Kathy, my fellow podcaster, said, well, tonight let's do this exercise where we answer questions as our protagonist. It's, she said, I did this at another writer's group and it was really cool. So I answer questions as Harlow Hansen and my protagonist in Stealing Aries. And I realized just how bad I missed her and that it was just such a shame of me to give up so quick. Like I had been going to critique groups for over a decade. This is the fifth book I've written. I have, I say a stack of rejection letters this tall, mm -hmm. but it's not really a stack because they're all email, but you know, I can take it. I'm good with this. Why did this knock me on my butt? You know, why has this got me stuck? And I'm like, oh, come on, get it out, rewrite it. What's your problem? Get off your butt, you know? So <laughs> I needed a new tragedy. To, to strand my colonists there on Mars. So I thought, my goodness, Yellowstone National Park sits on top of a caldera. That's why we have all those geysers going off all the time. Uh -huh. If that thing blows, you know, like really blows, if that thing ever goes up, truly, ash is going to circle the globe. Depending on how bad it blows, ash could uh -huh. circle the globe for generations. Crops uh -huh. would fail everywhere. I mean, we would be messed up for a very long time. And if Mars is colonized, we can't help them. There's no way they're stuck. So I thought, let's do that. Let's, let's blow the caldera under Yellowstone National Park. And that's just going to be my new tragedy. I mean, that's what find and replace is for in word, you know, mm -hmm. in pandemic and everywhere there's a pandemic, we'll call it the gray death. And that'll be the ash circling the globe. You know, we're writers. We're resilience. You know, we're resilience itself. We're used to dealing with this. Very creative. Yes. Mm -hmm. I cannot allow this to stump me from a story that I, I love. You know? Mm -hmm. No. Mm -hmm. Get yeah. up. And I mean, you know, you have the you have your premise, you have it already really done. All you really needed was to change the catalyst, right? To yeah change what was it that sparked the problem which you know in this case was your the volcano and i think that's a really amazing story to as as authors you know because sometimes you know we are so attached to our story and you know sometimes we feel like oh well, we wrote it it's perfect we're mozart nobody can tell us anything right <laughs> but you know, sometimes we have to be open and flexible to to what is in the marketplace. You know, yeah. other times, you know, uh, there's time where you have your novel and you can hold it and then it's time comes. Right. Uh, there's authors who, you know, the the times have changed, the, the fashions have changed. And so, you know, suddenly the novel that they couldn't publish at one point becomes publishable. But sometimes you have to adjust. And yeah. so it's a great story of how authors need to be kind of open to thinking about how can I adjust it so that I can move it into a, the marketplace, you know, 
Um, cause it's a great, it's a great story and I want to have it out there. So I love that story that you, that you're, you were able to adjust your, your tail to bring it to the marketplace. That is awesome. Yeah. We're, we're creative beings. We can do that. You know, and when I look back on it, I'm like, what, you know, why did I let that discourage me so much? And it, maybe it just represented the years of discouragement before that, you know, maybe I was channeling some of that. Well, you know, <laughs> but nah. You went through it and made it and completed it. And now it's published and it is available right now on Amazon. Um, and it's Stealing Aries, A-R-E-S, yeah. on Amazon. So um, anyone listening can go get, uh, if you're listening today live, then it is available as a pre-order. If you're listening to this later, it'll be on Amazon. You can go get it anytime. Yep. That's right. And so your colonists, yep, your colonists are on Mars and yep. um, they are now on their own from Earth. And so, you know, tell us a little bit about like your main character. What, um, you know, you, you mentioned how, how, much you really loved her and how connected yeah. you were to her. What are some of the things that, that she represents for you? And, you know, what are some of the things that you kind of have her go through in, in these novels without spoilers, but, you know, yeah. kind of give us a little, a little bit about your character. Yeah. You know, I, I love that she, you know, she's had, she's grown up in a situation where she had to steal and scrape to get by and, she sees that there's this giant starship sitting there and it's dormant and it's been dormant for two decades. And she's mad because, you know, gold is an excellent conducting material. And so it's gold in the wires and she wants to go strip it because, you know, she can sell it off to fund the colonists welfare, you know, cause there's so many things they need, you know, they're dying of lung congestion and things like that. And so she's sort of the Robin Hood of colonies. So when she sneaks on the starship to steal from it, the, there's a um, the prince of the 25th century. He goes there to escape his grief because his wife and child has just died. And he's there doggedly trying to get this ship back online. And so they all hate him for it, you know, because they think he's just just doing it for vanity and just because he's interested and he wants to be the savior of the, Oh, I figured it out, you know, and they hate him, but he's actually trying to get it back online because he knows there's a terrorist faction that wants to come there, get the ship and they want to get it online so they can use it as a terrorist outpost to take shots at earth from Mars. And so if they can ever get hold of the ship, you know, they're going to just be the terrorist of the solar system. You know, it's terrible. But Harlow doesn't realize that. And the, co the other colonists there on Mars don't believe that. So when she sneaks on board the ship to steal from it, the thing wakes up from two decades of sleep and actually starts talking to her. Hmm. It just starts talking to her. And so the prince realizes that this woman stealing from him is the key that he's been searching for. And so it's what I liked about it was it was the idea that really any little girl, no matter how, and I, I saw this a lot as a CASA, and I think maybe all little girls feel this way at some point, you know, even as far as our society has come, 
sometimes girls don't understand, you know, you can do anything, you can be anything. And I remember when I was a little girl running around my house, taking aluminum foil and making the little Wonder Woman bands and pretending that I was uh-huh. dodging bullets and making one to go up here. You know, uh-huh. how you could take aluminum foil and make yourself look like Wonder Woman. You know, I, I think all little girls need to realize that, that they are powerful beings, you know. Mm-hmm. And for me, Harlow was a composite of all that. And she needed to realize that in herself. So when she comes on board the ship and it starts talking to her, you know, it was the beginning, the definitive moment of her journey to realize she can be something more. She already has it in her, you know, and something mm-hmm. outside her sees it in her, this potential, you know. Wow. And so that's the beginning of her journey. And it is a romance. So Jack, you know, the prince of the UK, 500 years from now, he sees it in her too. You know, he sees this potential and he invites her to come be part of the crew. And then there's a push and pull between the colonists because she's, she's their girl. She, you know, the colonists see her as, you know, she's theirs. Why are you going to go work for the enemy? So then she feels like she's betraying them if she wants to be something more than a thief. So there's this war within herself and this greater society issue. Like if you want to pull yourself up and be something more, are you betraying your people? So there's mm. that too. And eventually the colony ends up in a full circle back around to almost like the American Revolution, because Jack, who is a prince of the UK, when he goes to tell his parents, look, you know, I'm here for the colonists. I want the colonists to get more for the iron ore, the gold that's on Mars and the rare minerals that they're mining. His parents say, no, you know, that that starship belongs to us. We're, we've helped support the colony all this time. And, and they basically just want to give them slave wages. And Jack is like, well, I'm not going to have that. And so the last thing he says to his parents is, well, they said, well, if, if you're going to be in rebellion, then, you know, we're going to strip you of your title and you're a rogue state. And the next time we see you, it might be with an army. So the last time he sees his parents, he says, well, they said, do you have anything to say? And he says, yeah, don't tread on me. And then he leaves, which is was the slogan in the American Revolution. So it's mm. it's sort of a throwback to the American Revolution, which sets up book two. Huh? So it's sci fi. but There's a little American history in there, too, in a way. And that is very nice. It's got everything. And it's got a little yeah. everything. <laughs> Yeah, and I I love that I love the conversation we were having before we even came on air about sci-fi versus you know fantasy and how um, sometimes as readers it's hard to distinguish, but even as authors, you know it's important to distinguish you know what your genre is for you to market it even. So I love so you've got a little bit of of a history you know nod to history and you have a little bit of romance, but it's a sci-fi, so that's kind of the baseline of your book. So those of you who love science fiction, this is definitely a novel series you can jump into. Yeah. So with this, based on our conversation we had before, when we got, we were talking about science fiction, fantasy versus science fiction, hard science fiction. Would this book be fantasy or hard science fiction? I would describe it as soft to medium sci-fi. 
And the reason I would say that is because when you have hard sci-fi, they can go on for three or four pages, you know, about the warp drive in their ship explaining how it works, (laughs) explaining what the core of their ship looks like. And if there are people who are into that and can settle back and will love every minute of that. But usually in sci-fi romance, uh, the reader is not looking for that because it's more character driven. They want to know, you know, how does the protagonist feel about this? And how does the male lead feel about her? So my description of how the ship gets into an EM bubble, I don't spend more than a paragraph on it. So it's sort of a soft, softer sci-fi. Okay. That makes sense. Makes yeah. sense. And for you've done a lot of writing and you have in, in Inklings in your publishing company, you have authors who write science fiction and fantasy or just science fiction. Oh yeah, both. We got it. Both. And, That's what and every every kind of yeah. We, we yeah. are a full, full publishing house, so we have really all the genres. Oh, but, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But you, you're, you're, you know the difference between the two or when they are, when they switch. Because <laughs> I'm still grasping with that. It's like, okay, that sounds yeah. I mean, I think, I think for a reader, honestly, for you as a reader, right, the readers, the, the key thing to, I, I wouldn't worry about like the levels of science fiction and stuff. I would, I would focus on, you know, science fiction, right? Like your novel, Kim, uh, is where all the elements of the story could be true. Okay. Potentially in the future, there could be colonies on Mars. There could right. be kingdoms and princes, right? From uh, the UK leading one of the colonies. So there, the EM bubble that makes the ship go, it could be real. So there is truth as the basis for all the elements. And so, so I wouldn't worry about like whether it's hard sci-fi or soft. It, I would just say, yeah, it's science fiction because pretty much the whole story is plausible. It's, it's potentially, you know, it could be true. Worse, where, whereas when you have fantasy elements, these are things that cannot be true, right? That that no matter what scientific development our world goes through, we're not going to have wizards, right? I mean, there isn't going to be, it's not likely that there will be people who can use their minds to really move things, right? Or, you know, people who can uh, force choke you, you know, the Jedi are basically space wizards, okay? And, you know, uh, George Lucas tried to sci-fi them by talking about the midichlorines. You right? mean there won't really life. be a baby Yoda? There won't be a baby Yoda. I'm sorry. <laughs> but but there will be alien creatures. You could find alien creatures right, and right. other types of sentient beings. You know, so that that is plausible that we might go to planets and find sentient beings, that are some humanoids and some totally different from us. Right. But, but, you know, is, you know, will we find magic? Like can people do cast spells and, you know, stuff like that? Probably not. Right. Um, So there, there's definitely like with fantasy, there are things that can never truly happen. Right. That no matter how much science evolves, the likelihood of this is, is really slim. 
right? So that's how you can differentiate between fantasy elements and sci-fi elements. Now, I personally think, you know, I personally think dragons are plausible. I think that they were, that they may have existed, some kind of creature that was dragon-like may have existed on earth because we have it in every culture, a reference to them. So there must've been something Right. And I and it's possible somewhere in the universe they may still exist. Yeah, you know, so I'm looking a lot to of that. that's possible. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just gonna say I'm staking my claim on dragons are sci-fi, but technically <laughs> they're mostly categorized as fantasy, right? But you know what? I am what is it? I'm watching the Lord of the Rings series, right? And I'm not gonna lie, I'm waiting for the dragon. Because isn't I'm pretty sure Lord of the Rings and like the first or the second movie it's the dragon right and they're going through the gold they find the dragon isn't that Lord of the Rings I'm pretty Are you talking confident. about smog you talking about smog is he a dragon yeah then yeah now. he's the one yeah. that took over the dwarves' homes and ate them all oh that's right I- I'm waiting for this I'm waiting for the dragon to come in this series because it is it is dragging it's it's a it's a commitment of but i don't know that it's series. will it will it be in that time period i don't rem- i don't know how far well, back so this this time period for lord of the rings you were talking about dragons this time period is before the the Hobbit. lord of the rings thing before right everything. so it's the creation of the rings right. right and how they're created and how like the eight shadow people you know how they come about and the corruption that the the rings bring so that's what this is. So I figured he would be like towards the end or something. He's got to come in because he's somewhere, right? Maybe. Before I don't Maybe. know. I'm. I, I hey, if they do, I'm totally. I, but I'm already in, right? I know. I, honestly, yeah. the only reason I'm watching House of Dragons is for the dragons. I mean, let's just face it. I mean, the story is all right, but like the dragons. I mean, I'm in it for the dragons. Okay, people. But it. we are over time, you guys, and you know who would be very upset with us. Yeah, I was just gonna say, we, maybe Russell. Look at both of y'all becoming like Russell. Oh my <laughs> goodness, I never thought I would see the day. I never thought at all. It's but, a know, new day, new day. It's, 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 a new day. it's a new week, it's a new year, right? And it my is. mind, I'm already is. on the new year. For Kim, sure. This has been fun. It has. It has been so much fun. So thank you so much for taking time out of your morning to come and talk to us and tell us about your book and just you as a writer and how you came to become a writer and to publish your book and everything like that. You guys, we hope that you guys have a great Monday, a great rest of your week, and we will catch you all next Monday. But until then, everybody, bye for now. Thank you all so much. Good to meet you.